Welcome into the fourth episode of the Hockey Mountain Podcast, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in on uh, iTunes and Google Play. My name is Sean DeFoy. With me, as always, on this show is JJ and Joseph. We got a great show uh, coming in hot for you guys. Um, first, as always, we'll recap the Avalanche games from the uh, from the last week. Uh, we have three of them to talk about, and then uh, <clears throat> we'll talk a little bit about what those uh, what those games mean. Uh, get some reaction on them from the guys here, and then we'll move along. We'll talk about. Um, injuries to the Colorado Avalanche and uh, how that's going to impact them down the home stretch. And then we'll go around the uh, NHL. We'll talk about some trades that are happening with some uh, with some uh, ex-Avalanche players, some uh, trade rumors that involve current Avalanche players. Uh, we'll talk about a possible uh, off-season move that also uh, involves a ex-Avalanche player. And uh, we will also talk about other happenings around the league, most notably um, the incident that happened um, in Chicago. We'll go around the world. We'll uh, we'll talk about a little a little bit of Olympic hockey. We'll uh, we'll touch on the men's. We'll touch on the women's. Um, see how they're doing, uh, and just get some reaction on them. And then, uh, of course, we'll look ahead to uh, the Avalanche upcoming um, schedule in their upcoming week. Uh, first and foremost, let's go ahead and recap those games for you. First, the Avalanche on uh, Valentine's Day took a 2 nothing win from the Montreal Canadiens. Goals in this one by uh, Carl Soderberg. We'll talk about him later on. And Alexander Kerfoot. And then the team traveled to Winnipeg <clears throat> for a really big game against uh, division-leading uh, Winnipeg. And uh, goals by Wheeler, Connor, Kopp, Line, Ellers, and Wheeler again before Rantanen uh, said no, sir, to the shutout. And the Avalanche dropped that one. A 6-1 game. Uh, another Avalanche player going down in that one. And then Sunday, the Avalanche played host to the Oilers. Going for the all-time leading record. 4-2 to was the final score. The Oilers taking this one. Uh, Yost got things going. And then McDavid tied it up. Kerfoot. Made it 2-1 Avalanche, and then uh, in the third period, McDavid, Strom, and then McDavid with the hat trick and the empty net goal to put things away. So, guys, just a real quick rapid reaction. What do you think about the uh, the Avalanche and um, the last three games? Um, I mean, I think they played really well against Montreal. Obviously, having Soderberg kind of continue what he's been doing this season, playing really well, and Kerfoot just stepping up as well um i thought they really slipped off against winnipeg and the last one against the oilers i think they were doing well and then they had another classic third period kind of meltdown a little bit but i mean those last three games definitely have not been their best though i think yeah i i agree um definitely one of the highlights though is kerfoot he's got two goals in the past three games got three in the past five games um, so he's definitely getting to the net, getting the puck where it needs to be. Um, one of my, one of the biggest thoughts I had was in that uh, that Avalanche Jets game where they just got lit up. Um, what I noticed is uh, just a lot of bad turnovers, um, especially in their offensive zone. Um, the biggest one that comes to mind is that um, Shifley takeaway from Rantanen um, that led to that odd man rush and led to that goal um, by was it Cop I believe. Um, Another thing noticed about that play was uh, Tyson Berry's defense, honestly. 
I mean, you saw him there playing the pass. He was he was in position. He could have got a stick in the way, and uh, he didn't make it happen. And it led to a goal. So, um, Avalanche and Oilers. Um, you just they just let Connor McDavid do what he does, and uh, he uh, he made him pay for it. Honestly. Yeah, you and I were at that game. We had the uh, the pleasure of seeing it live, <clears throat> and I think I even um, turned to you. It was probably two one two two. Um, at that point, and, uh, you know, Connor McDavid was, you know, dancing with the puck in the zone and, you know, getting chances and generating stuff for the Oilers whenever he was on the ice. And, um, you know, I turned to you and I said, you know, Connor McDavid's taking control of this game. And sure enough, he was the huge difference. Um, so I want to touch on the game on the 14th, Avalanche and Canadians 2 nothing, And the Avalanche went and tied for... Uh, the, the franchise record for most home wins in a row. And uh, I just want to touch base on you with you guys. Um, do you feel as though this is a big accomplishment for this team? Or do you think in the long run, in the grand scheme of things, um, it's not something that's really that important? You know, when you talk about home win streaks, um, you know, that probably means the team isn't playing very well on the road and the Avalanche have not been playing very well on the road this year. So what do you guys think about this team that's a playoff bubble team looking more and more in despair for their, their playoff hopes. Um, what do you think about that, them them setting that record this year? I mean, I think in one retrospect, the concern about how bad they were last season at home is definitely a really um, big milestone. It kind of shows how they're kind of growing. They know that they need the Pepsi Center to kind of be a tough place to come in and play for any team against them. And, um I don't know, I think just in the long run, I think it would just kind of develop and they'll be able to kind of just build on that, trying to make sure that the Pepsi Center continues to be a um, a tough t- place to play. But on the other side, they do have to ca- really improve their road play because this season, that's really been hurting them. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Um, I think as far as like this team goes, um, the record isn't that huge of a deal um, as far as kind of milestones of uh, – where this team is at right now, I think um, from a pan, from a fan perspective, um, it's a huge deal. It means they're uh, they're winning games in front of their home crowd. People are going out to games and uh, supporting this team again. So I think in that aspect, it's kind of a big deal. In the grand scheme of things, um, not so much. Yeah, I mean, I love everything that you guys um, talked about. And we commented on it um, at the game on Sunday as well. Um, you know, last year at around this time, you know, we, we, we had crowds that were barely cracking, you know, 8,000 to 10,000 people. And then, you know, a Sunday afternoon matinee game, you know, it was 70 degrees out. You know, people can do whatever that they want in Colorado, go for a hike, go to Red Rocks, whatever. It was an absolute gorgeous day. Um, but a sellout Pepsi Center crowd on a Sunday matinee in late February, just something that I didn't think that we would see um, from the Avalanche this year. Um, but I do agree, it just speaks to the bounds that and leaps that the Avalanche have made this year, even if they don't qualify for the playoffs, how how much of a success that this season has been. Um, I love you talking about, JJ, just them having the Pepsi Center as a home ice advantage, you know, the altitude in and of itself, it's going to be hard for, you know, teams to come in and win in Colorado to begin with. But if you get that fan support, 
you get people going to the games, you get them jazzed about the team, um, and then you get that home home crowd advantage, which is something that severely lacks at the Pepsi Center. If you've ever been to a Avs game or a Nuggets game or, you know, even even a Rockies game at Coors Field, you know, um, people going out and supporting their home team, it's a it's a big issue with Colorado sports, and it's good to see more and more Avalanche fans going out, giving them a little bit more of a home ice advantage. So we'll move along. A big talking point for me uh, from Winnipeg was uh, was Jonathan Bernier uh, went down in Winnipeg. He uh, he got a little roughed up, went out with a concussion. So the Hamburglar is back with the big club here, and then um, also in that one. Uh, Greer got a little bit roughed up, you know, um, just kind of playing physical, and then uh, and then Bufflin took exception to it and uh, came in. There was a little bit of a scrap, and then I feel like a lot of people feel as though Bufflin was a little bit in the wrong. We'll talk about what the what the Bernier injury means in the next segment, but just guys, give me your thoughts about that sequence with. Dustin Bufflin. I mean, I mean, do you feel as though he was in the wrong? The league took no, no react, no, I guess repercussion um, to but to Dustin Bufflin. And do you guys just want to talk about AJ Greer too? Do you like the kind of game that he brings to the Avalanche when he is up? Yeah, I mean, I like Greer just considering the fact that he is able to score sometimes, but like he's mostly one of those players who tries to get under the guy's skin. And um, that's kind of exactly what happened with Winnipeg. I mean, he took exception to a hit, and then Bufflin came in, and they fought. But I, I do think Bufflin was in the wrong because playing hockey all my life, there's some, and just that unwritten rule, you don't throw punches when you're down ice now. That's not new. That's been around for years now, and he didn't throw just one or two. He threw, like, six. So, I mean... I just it games in the past seeing the abs and Bufflin just kind of playing against each other. He's always been that guy who either um, kind of changes things with a big hit or he has some dirty plays as we've seen with, I think Landis in the past as well. Um, but I mean, yeah, I don't, I'm kind of surprised that the league didn't say anything about Bufflin th- th- with those six more shots on the ice. Yeah. Um, as far as AJ Greer goes, um, I think he, he kind of plays a pretty key role in the Avalanche roster as far as like his physicality and the fact that he's he's not afraid to instigate. And uh, um, that's something you don't really see a lot within like um, the Avalanche's lineup right now. And I think that, that does play kind of a key role in the, um, the, way, the way hockey games go. And um, it's kind of an important part of the game. Yeah, and I think it kind of is good for the Avs, too, considering the fact that they don't have McLeod anymore. They don't have um, Bordalo. They don't really have a guy who can come in and kind of be that gritty, gritty, tough guy forward. Um, they kind of have moved away from that a bit. But, I mean, it's interesting to see because Greer's definitely not a goon. He can score. Mm. Um, but they have a weird mix because you have, you have EJ, who's a very – a tough guy and he can fight we who we've seen him fight before but yeah i mean Avs have just moved in the completely opposite direction of the past yeah i think that's kind of kind of something more that's a, a league-wide kind of thing i mean you've seen it like the the whole like like typical um traditional idea of the goon is is completely gone but you still need you still need these guys that are uh are willing to uh 
to step up in these situations and are willing to, to get physical. Um, but they also need to be able to skate, too. Well, do you think that's something that, that the Avalanche are missing, you know, out of their lineup? Um, I mean, you look at teams around the league. I mean, I mean Ryan Reeves um, in Pittsburgh, you know, he's that, he's that kind of guy, you know, to go out and lay the body. Um, you know, he's he's not a super talented guy, but he can go and lay the puck in the net. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, he plays a good game. I would say he plays a game similar to AJ Greer. And if you look at the Avalanche's roster, <clears throat> they don't really have a guy to go out there and be physical. Um, I think they're one guy that I would think would, I guess, intimidate, you know, the other team while still being, you know, good at his position is Nikita Zadorov. You know, but I think you need you need that fourth line energy guy. You know, because if you look at, you know, the Avalanche's fourth line right now, I think that's kind of why they brought Colin Wilson in to kind of be that guy. But he hasn't been that guy. You know, I feel like do you, do you guys feel like the Avs are lacking a little bit of physicality and a little bit of grit, and uh, maybe adding a little bit a little bit of that into the roster um, could maybe improve things going ahead in the future. Um, I mean, I'm right now. I kind of would say that they're kind of like a perfect mix of the kind of toughness uh, as well as skill. Um, Wilson coming in, he's definitely is a grinder. But as we've seen, kind of in the past like five games or so, he's one of those guys who can score. He does have a really good shot. Um, but he's definitely one of those guys who's a grinder. But as well, he can be, really play an offensive role in any game he plays. Um, but that's why I kind of like seeing I. I personally love the direction that they're going, not kind of getting rid of, like, the tough, tough guy, but keeping it, like, skilled tough-wise. Yeah, I think, again, like, league-wise, that's kind of a trend that's happening right now is uh, um, going away from, like, the more, like, physical grinding aspects of the game and really focusing on, like, the the highly skilled kind of players coming into the game. Um, But I think in in, in the situation with uh, Bufflin and Greer, I think they're both those guys that have kind of that like that same mentality. Um, I mean, you see, you saw Bufflin, especially in like Chicago. Like he was, he played that role a lot too. And like he's he's not the worst skater, but he he was the guy like you you put in front of the net. It's a big dude, and uh, he's also the guy that if someone's trying to trying to mess with you, when you're star players, he's kind of the guy that steps in. I don't think that role is um, as important as it used to be, but it's definitely definitely something that um, still needs to be addressed with a lot of these clubs. Yeah, it's worth mentioning that when uh, when Dustin Bufflin played um, for Chicago, he started as a defenseman, and then when they made their cup run in uh, 2010, he played a large majority of that year on the wing, and all they did was stick him in front of the net. Um, so, switching gears here a little bit, guys, um, especially in the last week and this week as well, um, how does the old saying go, death taxes and the avalanche getting outshot in games um and i believe in every single game even the montreal game if my memory serves me correct uh they were outshot winnipeg they weren't weren't. okay um but they were outshot by a large margin in edmund with with edmonton i think they let edmonton put 40 shots up on the net and now that you only have varley um you don't have that one-two punch um it's very rare to see um, a goalie carry things like Jonathan Bernier did, and I don't know if Semyon Varlamov is going to be able to stand on his head 40 shots a night. He has before. 
I don't know if he has it again. Um, but moving forward, not even in this year, um, but ahead, is it kind of worrisome for you, you guys to see that the Avalanche are getting outshot by a large margin? Or do you think that is kind of some of the youth growing pains of not only the decor, but for the youth forwards as well to kind of get a cycle going to possess the puck and to generate more shots? I kind of feel like it's a combination of just the team being really young and kind of building that um, development, especially with that young defensive core. But at the same time, I also think it has to do with the fact that a lot of the guys, uh, when they're kind of breaking out, they do cause a lot of turnovers, such as, um, I mean, I've seen Kerfoot have a few turn- turnovers in the zone. I've seen Yakupov with a bunch of turnovers in the zone. Um, I mean... I think it's just a part of them kind of having to develop their youth as well as kind of gain out of that. I mean, we've had the same thing for years with Avs now. We just turnovers after turnovers leading to a bunch of 40 shots on game. It's definitely interesting. <laughs> no, yeah, that's especially like the last the last like four or five games I've noticed like one of the biggest issues are the turnovers. Um, a lot of which, like in the neutral zone or like their defensive zone, trying to uh, trying to uh, get a rush going. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with with some of the growing pains with uh, uh, like you said, like this young decor and uh, got got a lot of young young forwards as well too. Um, I mean, it's just gonna take take some time. Um, you gotta learn how to how to control the puck because if you control the puck, you uh, that's how you win hockey games. Do you think um, the bottom six of the Avalanche are kind of fading down the stretch as well? Um, I mean, you th- you think about the two lines that have been the most successful for the Colorado Avalanche. It's obviously that top line with um, with Rantanen and McKinnon and Landis Cog, and then that second line with Como and Soderberg and Nieto, who was the third line, you know, to start. And a lot of those guys were on the fourth line on opening night. Um, but they've been able to be so consistent. And I guess what I'm trying to get at here is the difference between those top two lines and the rest of the lines is the last year, all of those guys played an entire season in the NHL. When you have a guy like Kerfoot who, you know, was in college, Yost was in college last year. These guys aren't acclimated to an 82 game on the road and do you think that the Avalanche, maybe their bottom six and their depth are starting to fade a little bit down, you know, I mean, I mean, the goals are starting to come for Yost, but is the two-way game still still there? And do you think that's something that'll improve um, moving on into year number two for a lot of these guys? I mean, they are still very, very young. Um, I mean, kind of what something I like about the bottom six that the Avs have is it's kind of, because it's Borg, Kerfoot, and Comfort for the third line, and then Wilson, Jost, and Yakupov for the fourth. Um, I mean, obviously it's mostly mostly rookies, but the addition of Bork and Wilson kind of creates a veteran mix, which is interesting to me. But I mean, I won't really say that they're kind of fading down the stretch, but they, I think, youth-wise, they definitely still have to kind of develop a little bit. I think. Yeah, I think especially like the first the first half of the season too. Um, I mean, those lines, like you said, did see did see a little bit of success, and I think that has to do with uh, 
Like they were going out and they were they were skating hard um, every game. And I, I mean, it's it's very possible that they are uh, they're kind of wearing themselves out at this point. Like you said, um, some of these kids coming coming straight from college aren't used to the uh, kind of professional workload um, that comes with the NHL. Thanks for tuning into the pod. Make sure you follow us along on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash hockey mountain pod, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash hockey mountain pod. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at hockey underscore mountain. All right, so we'll move along here. Segment two, um, we'll continue with the avalanche talk here in the start, and we'll go around the league. Uh, we'll talk some NHL here. Um, First, let's start with the Colorado Avalanche. We'll talk about some uh, some possible uh, roster moves and uh, and some injuries that went down. We'll start with the injury report. Uh, first off, uh, Jonathan Bernier going down with a concussion. Um, is that worrisome for you guys um, about the goaltending situation the rest of the way um, for the season? Or do you feel as though Varlamov can handle down the fort? And at what point... Um, what kind of game would it take from Varlamov for you to see um, Hammond make another start in the NHL? I mean, I definitely do have to say it is kind of worrisome, especially concerning the fact of how often um, Varlamov has been able to kind of get injured. I mean, that groin injury is just... <laughs> it seems like it's never going to go away. It's just constantly there. But... um I mean, yeah, I'm interested in seeing Hammond if he ever gets a a start here because I feel like with Ottawa, he was really good for a little while, and then he kind of dropped off a bit, and I feel like he kind of looks as a a chance to kind of recalibrate and get a name for himself again. So I think the duo of Varlamov and um, Hammond could be interesting. Yeah, I I think um, if Varley can stay healthy, this will be – um, this will be a good time to prove that he is like the the Avalanche's starting goalie. Because before, when he when he was hurt and Bernier stepped in and he really killed it, he kind of kind of gave that little bit of a like what, who should be the starting goalie kind of thing. Um, so I think um, down this stretch, Riley's gonna have to really step it up and prove that he he is the man. Um, the the biggest worrisome thing for me is the fact that um, Bernier's injury is a concussion. Because we've seen there's there's no real definitive timetable um, from coming back from that kind of injury. It's just kind of the nature of head injuries, which are, which are terrible. I mean, we saw it in a or seeing it in Chicago right now with Crawford's been out for for who knows how long. I don't too too long to count, I guess, right now. But I mean, yeah, that's that's only worrisome thing is just the nature of head injuries and a yeah. Yeah, and then and then and then moving forward, the Avalanche with a big blow on Sunday. Um, Anton Lindholm uh, went down. He's expected to be uh, out for an extended period of time. Um, and then, uh, un- unfortunately, Eric Johnson went down. Uh, reports were that he was leaving the arena with his arm in a sling. Um, and then, and then, secondary reports are that he will probably miss a extended period of time as well. Um, the Avalanche going ahead and calling up David Warsawski, who will be in the lineup tonight against the Vancouver Canucks. Um, and they also um, brought up Andre Miranov from the uh, San Antonio Rampage. So both of those guys go down. Both 
out for an extended period of time. Um, is this kind of a turning point for the Colorado Avalanche? I mean, I think if you looked at one guy that went down last year, I mean, the Avalanche didn't start great, but they didn't start terrible last year. And then they lost Eric Johnson to injury. And then things kind of steamrolled from there. And then last year was last year. Um, so do you guys think that the Avalanche are losing their number one defenseman for uh, for God knows how long right now with an upper body injury? Um, do you think that this is a turning point for the off season? And do you think it's a little downhill uh, from here on out? Um, I think it definitely is a big time for them to kind of prove themselves especially with ej going down um it seems like to me every single time ej goes down the season or like always they always just start losing for some reason but um i mean it's a different team they kind of have been kind of saying that since the beginning and i think it'll be interesting to see kind of how they step into that vacant role yeah like you mentioned last season when uh ej was out for a very extended period of time um but the difference is this is a very different defensive core than we had last season it's a lot younger um i think it's a lot more resilient um unfortunately like ej he is kind of the the anchor on this avalanche defensive core but i mean we've we've seen guys like like zadorov's really stepping it up i'm really impressed with what he's do, been doing and uh this is an opportunity for someone like him to kind of show he's uh he's he's going to be the man he's he's going to live up to the hype. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people don't realize how important Eric Johnson is to this team. I mean, he is your leader. He is one of your alternate captains. He is probably the leader of the defense. Um, But you guys hit the nail right on the head. Um, The difference being is you have um, guys in his stead taken up um, with Nikita Zadorov another year. Um, Sammy Gerard is going to get top line minutes. So I'm interested to see how the kid's going to do um, getting top line minutes or top pairing minutes um, against NHL competition at 19 years old, how he kind of reacts to that. Um, and the difference being is you have those two guys going rather than uh, the likes of Francois Beauchemin or Fedor freaking Tootin, man. Like, you know, I mean, the D is so much more. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, we saw David Warsofsky for a little bit. I think he, he played one game on his last call up, didn't do too bad, looked good in preseason, the preseason games that we went to. Um, I like that the game that David Warsofsky plays, he's a veteran, he's been around, um, he knows how to play in this league. Um, so he was a good addition in the off season and I think that he will be good to hold down the stead. Um, the only issue is now if, we're going to see the avalanche in the playoffs. I think this is a big blow to them. I don't think they'll, we'll necessarily see the fall off that we had, but right now I think the avalanche are sitting five points out of a playoff spot, even in games with the Minnesota wild. Um, and then, you know, you're coming down the home stretch. We'll talk about it later, but, um, I think of their last 22 games that they have, do they have 22 games left already? Are we already at that point? Um, only two of them, are against Eastern Conference opponents. You know, I think I, th- I think you still have two or three more games against the Wild. Um, you still have to play Calgary um, another time for sure. You're chasing them. Um, divisional opponents, um, who knows? You, I mean, you got to play the Blackhawks four more times, I think. Um, they're having a down year, but, you know, who's to say they can't play spoiler yeah. um, down the stretch? So, really, I think a lot of these games are must win and you know, I think it's a bad time for your decor 
to not be at full strength. So we'll talk about decor a little bit more. We'll go around the league. Just rapid reaction for you guys. Um, Nick Holden traded to the Boston Bruins, which kind of blows my mind that Nick Holden um, was a piece that a buyer wanted to buy at the deadline. Just real quick, what are your guys? What are your guys' thoughts on the trade? I think that's a good pickup for Boston, especially how, with how well they're playing this season. Um, as we've seen, Holden is kind of a he. He's really physical down in corners, and he's a good defenseman, which is what we what we kind of saw when he he was with Colorado. But I'm only, I mainly noticed his style of play kind of coming out when he was with New York in like that first season. Um, I'm really I'm really interested in seeing how he does with Boston. Though I think that's a very good acquisition for them. I think so too, especially um, considering where the two teams are at this point. Um, Rangers kind of on the cusp of possibly a rebuild coming. Um, trying to trying to load some players. Boston. Boston is having a great season. Um, second in the division, unfortunately, because they play in the same division as the Lightning, but um, third overall in the league. So I think I think they're making a statement. They're really going to be going for a push this postseason, and it's going to be, be exciting to watch the Bruins this playoffs. Yeah, according to Hockey Reference, um, the top three teams with the most probable chance of winning the Stanley Cup um, – Tampa Bay, obviously, number one. And then second is the Vegas Golden Knights. And then number three is the Boston Bruins. Um, and they've really done well. Worth noting, too, <clears throat> that Nick Holden, when the Avalanche traded him, they dealt him away for a fourth-round draft pick. The Rangers, in return to Boston, just got a third-round draft pick and an AHL player. So kind of interesting that he, as he's getting older, um, his his value, I guess, kind of goes up. But when you're buying for a potential playoff push, um, Nick Holden isn't really a bad acquisition. Um, I liked him when he was in Colorado. I liked when they let him go, too. Um, don't like how they replaced him last year. Loved how they've shaped up their decor and how, you know, if he played on the Avalanche right now, I don't know if I would want him in the lineup. Um, but did go to the playoffs with the Avalanche went to the playoffs with the Rangers. So he has that playoff experience. Um, he, you know, he has that in that, 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 that experience in the intense intensity going down the stretch. So I think it's a good acquisition for the Boston Bruins uh, with a trade deadline coming up. Rumors are swirling. And one of the interesting rumors um, involving Pittsburgh and Colorado is that um, Pittsburgh is going to be looking to add a piece down the stretch, down the middle um, and if they're not able to get exactly what they wanted, well, well, maybe it, he is what they want. But Pittsburgh um, may be in on Carl Soderberg. Um, what do you guys think about that trade? And what do you guys think about the possibility um, of dealing Carl Soderberg at the trade deadline? Um, I mean, I think Soderberg has played really well for us, as I've kind of said before. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I mean... Pittsburgh has some really good pieces too. Like they're still a very strong defensive team, so it'll be interesting if that rumor is true. What we could get back for Soderberg, especially with how well he's been playing. Yeah, he's he's having a great season. That that was one of my thoughts. Is kind of trying to judge what kind of value um, Soderberg has, and I mean to a team like like the Penguins who won the last two Stanley Cups, 
trying to trying to get into uh to compete for their for their third in a row. Um, I mean, Soderberg definitely offers uh a lot of a lot of depth that the that the Penguins could use um on their uh on their forward lines, but uh um I'm just trying to trying to think like who uh who who the uh the Avalanche could uh get in return that would make it a, a worthwhile trade. Well, um, would you guys maybe like accept some picks too as well? I mean, I mean, I mean, this is a really deep draft, you know, um, I'm not really familiar with, um, the Penguins farm system, but maybe, maybe, maybe a second or third round pick and a prospect, um, for a guy like Carl Soderberg, maybe even more though, because it's not like you're getting, getting a rental player in Carl Soderberg. I mean, what, he's still under contract for a couple of years, so if you acquire a guy like Carl Soderberg, you know, you're acquiring a guy who's going to be more likely than not playing for your team for for another couple of years. So I think, you know, if they dealt him to a team like Pittsburgh, I think that they could, I guess, swindle a little bit bigger of a return, even for Carl Soderberg, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, he's just been having a really good season, too. It kind of, that plays a big part of it, but... um. I think if it comes down to, I think picks would be really important. They got law picks when they traded Duchesne, so that's really good for them right now. Um, another thing is if, in my opinion, I think they I would either go with picks or a somewhat good defenseman, which obviously I think that's just where the Sackick is kind of looking at right now. Yeah, and from from what I've what I've been looking at too, um, I think Ian Cole is kind of one of the one of the pieces that the uh, the Penguins are are trying to move before the trade deadline. Um, how do you guys think he would fit on a on an Avalanche roster? I think he'd fit well in the Avalanche roster, but I think he's more of a piece that you that you pick up when you're ready to compete. You know, um, would I like to see the Avalanche pick up Ian Cole? Absolutely, um, but do I think that right now he's a good thing for the Colorado Avalanche. Maybe. I mean, I mean, all these rookies, these young guys in their sophomore, their third year campaign might have, you know, great, great seasons. And the, who knows the Avalanche might be ready to compete for a Stanley cup next year. It could be two years from now. Um, You know, you could have picks in this draft that you, that, that you select, you give them a year to develop, and then they're up with your big club. And then once, once, once that wave comes up, and then and then Kerfoot's an established guy, um, McKinnon's more of a of of a veteran. Um, you finally know what you're gonna get from a guy like Tyson Yost. Um, you know, you you know what Sammy Gerard's gonna be all about. You, you either move on from Duncan Siemens and Andre Miranov, you know. I think then you kind of shape your team up a little bit more, and then in that case. You know, is Ian Cole going to be a big part of your of your team? You know, do you want to bring him in right now, especially when you already have two veteran guys like Eric Johnson and Tyson Berry? You know, I think if they brought in Ian Cole, then then Tyson Berry more likely than not is on his way out in the off season. You know, we talked about that that on an earlier podcast. You know, is Tyson Berry gone? When when's when's the right time to deal him? So, um. He's an interesting piece, but I don't know. I don't know if he's if now is the right time to acquire him for the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, definitely, especially at a 
I believe he's 28 years old, um, which would put him as um, one of the older people. I don't know if we, I know we talked about this last podcast about the age, but um, I think like, he's kind of right at that cusp of like um, kind of reaching his peak, coming towards his downswing in production. And I think as a long term, um, uh, long term option, it would, I don't think it would be a real smart choice for the Avalanche given where they're at at this point. Um, also, his I believe his contract's up after after this season. So they, if they want to keep him long term, they would have to resign him as well and um, kind of bargain a deal. All right. So with that being said, if um, Carl Soderberg is dealt or if he's not dealt, looking ahead to the offseason, um, one of the big-name free agents in the offseason um, coming from the St. Louis Blues is a guy that I'm sure a lot of people in Colorado are familiar with. Um, DU alumni uh, played for the Avalanche for a lot, a lot of years, um, was really one of the heart and soul guys of this team, um, and that's Paul Stasny. Um, what do you guys think about the or the possibility of the Colorado Avalanche maybe bringing Paul Stasny back um, maybe on a two- or three-year contract to the Colorado Avalanche, especially if they deal a guy like Carl Soderberg and they're looking for a replacement. Um, you know, he's going to be making anywhere from 2 to $5 million a year. I think somewhere around there. I think it would, I don't know, on one part of me wants to say that I think we should if we could, we should bring Stastny back. He, um, I mean, he was really good with us a few years ago, but at the same time, he's also 32 years old, and we also are kind of developing a, I mean, a, a not great forward core, but we're getting a, a good forward core that has a pretty good chemistry as well. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like if we do bring him back, I feel like it would kind of be a, another kind of step back. But at the same time, if we did get him, it would be a good veteran addition as well. Yeah, I mean, I think if the price is right, um, yeah, definitely. If you have the opportunity, uh, sign him. But um, just depending on um, what price they can get him for, I mean, like you said, he's he's 32 uh, years old right now. He's kind of, um, like I said, with uh, Ian Cole kind of reaching his peak, and he's about to be on the downswing um, production-wise, probably. Um, I know, you know, there's no way to say for sure. Um, but also, um, like, you notice in like the market today too, um, it's not, it's not as beneficial to build a team signing free agents, um, that it is to develop players. And, uh, like I said, I think he'd be a great piece if they can get him for the right price, but you, you don't want to, uh, um, sacrifice, um, your rebuild for, for a player like Paul Stastny, even though everyone loves him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he'd be a great um, nostalgic addition to this team. Um, just piggybacking on what you said and what JJ said, um, you know, it's got to be for the right price. And that right price isn't really even just talking about money, too. I mean, the right price could be um, if you have a prospect that you want to get playing time on the third or fourth fourth line, which is probably where he would end up. Um is that worth the roster spot, you know, to take away from a guy um, who you think might be NHL ready, um, but you know you're, you know, you're taking away from him. Um, I think, I think, I think it makes sense if they are to deal Carl Soderberg. I think if they make a move and Soda is on his way out of town, 
than in the offseason to bring in a guy like Paul Sassy to kind of fill that role. Um, he has experience with the team. Um, granted, he he hasn't played with a lot of players on the team anymore. Um, I think I think Barry Johnson, um, McKinnon for one year. He only played with Nathan McKinnon for one year. Um, and uh, Gabriel Landeskog, I think, are the only rostered players right now that he's played with. That's, that's four guys, um, which is just crazy to go from 2013 to now. Um, but, you know, fans would love it. Would put butts in the seats, you know. People would want to come out and see Paul Sazany, but for me, it's on a move that makes sense, unless there is a move to ship a guy like Carl Soderberg out of town. Because I like what the Avalanche have, and I like what they have down the middle too. Um, Sazany is really good on the faceoffs, um, and that's something that the Avalanche have really been lacking in, especially after um, Matt Shane left, because Matt Shane is one of the best faceoff guys in the league. So it wouldn't be the worst acquisition, but unless they were able to make a move where, you know, a guy like Carl Soderberg is shipped out of town, then they could bring in a guy like Stasny. That's the only way that I could see something make sense. But the Avalanche shouldn't try and push it and shouldn't try and Stasny bring him in just for the sake of bringing him in. Yeah, I mean, kind of to touch on the faceoff spot, I think that's the only reason why really good reason why bringing Stassi in would really benefit the team. Um, especially after getting rid of Duchesne, the face-off production has gone down way low. And we've seen, we've kind of seen it hurt them in the pe- the season a little bit, but not as much as I thought it would. Um, I don't know. I feel like it'll be interesting having Stassi on like that second line. Say we do get rid of Soderberg. It would be interesting. It would help them. It would, it would definitely help the abs kind of be able to get that face off percentage up a little bit more, but I don't know. I mean, that's kind of a difficult one. Because it's like either you really want him back or you're, you just think he's kind of declining at 34, even though he has 40 right. points on the season. Right. And I mean, you look ahead to next year and even looking ahead to this year, um, you know, we really didn't think that Blake Como and Carl Soderberg would be skating on the second line at this point in in the season for the Colorado Avalanche. And I think um, if the Avalanche are going to have elongated successes, um, you probably don't want them skating on the second line next year. And even if you pick up a guy like Paul Stasny and switch him out for Carl Soderberg, I don't think he would be on the second line either. I mean, if you think about um, how that's shaping up next year, you would want guys like Yost to take a big step forward, Comper to take a big step forward, Kerfoot to take a big step forward, and those guys be your be your second tier guys. Be have those guys be after you know Rantanen, McKinnon, um, Landis Cog. Have that be your be your second tier of guys next year, and have that consistency in their second year. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have to agree with that, especially with the fact that Comper's raise up his game a lot especially since last season he's been really really good as well as um i mean joe's knows he i'm basically all of them know they need to improve on mm-hmm. something and i think you've seen improvements throughout the year too yeah i mean i mean i mean especially lately with yost um even when he wasn't scoring a lot of goals wasn't producing a lot of pucks he was still playing a, a, a really good two-way game and i think um the 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 better part of his game that's come along as the season has progressed has been his his offensive ability you know um you know he's 
He's at, I mean, he only has six goals on the year, but I would venture to guess that three of them have been in the last month. Um, so his, his, his offensive play is um, improving and uh, Kerfoot's really starting to find his feet a little bit more. Um, and he's been a, such a nice surprise um, for the Colorado Avalanche because he wasn't really a prospect that was on a lot of, a lot of our radars, but he's come in and he's really earned his keep. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, us, that was kind of stealing away Kerfoot like that from the Rangers was mm-hmm. really big. That was a really big acquisition, especially with how good Kerfoot has been playing this season for sure. Thanks for tuning into the pod. Make sure you follow us along on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash hockey mountain pod, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash hockey mountain pod. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at hockey underscore mountain. All right, we'll move along here. Segment number three, we'll talk a little Olympic hockey, um, and we'll start we'll start things off. Um, guys, have you been able to catch a lot of Olympic hockey um, as of late, or is the disinterest just uh, too much for you, especially on the men's side? I would say I'm interested in it. Just the late games kill me. It's like either super late or super early, and it's it kills me every single time. But um. I mean, watching the women play at like 11 p.m. whenever they come on, it's been interesting because it's. I feel like the women's team is really good, which is obviously why they're playing for the gold tomorrow, today, tomorrow, tomorrow. Um, the men's team has surprised me now, though that they're playing again tonight against the Czech Republic, and I thought they played really well against um Slovakia yesterday, but. One of the guys who I f- completely always forget about when I'm watching games is Brian Gianta. Because it's like, I don't know. I It's either because I don't hear him that much or he's not really making a big impact to me. Because yesterday, I mean, all I heard was Troy Terry and that entire line because Troy Terry notching those three assists in the, in the second period. But, I mean, yeah, I, I think Gianta's kind of been um, a disappointment a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I haven't been able to catch a lot of games. Um, unfortunately, the only one I was able to kind of catch was uh, the uh, that Russian game where they got they got shelled four to one, I believe. Um, but yeah, the, the Russian Russian team's looking pretty good. Um, Kovalchuk is uh, having quite the Olympics, um, and he's a big reason why um, Russia's doing as good as they are. It's a, I mean it's Kovalchuk and Dotsuk though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm Russia's will be a very very tough test, especially when it comes to coming against probably Canada. If they go all the way to gold medal, that'll mm. be a really good game. But um, I mean Russia's definitely been good. It's especially with Kovalchuk and uh, Dotsuk playing in the KHL for the past few seasons and having that really crazy chemistry with each other. Yeah, um, one of the one of the kids that has really impressed me for uh, the USA is Ryan Donato too. Um, quite a few goals. I think I think he has three or four goals already in the Olympic tournament, um, which is big, especially for a um, USA Olympic team that has um, what they scored three goals in three games. I think was 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 their total going into last night, and then they scored five. So. Um, eight goals in total, so he has almost half half of their goal totals. Um, so he's been he he's been big. I think he's uh what what does he play for uh for BC? 
I think I think he's a college kid and he's a he's a he's a Bruins prospect. Um but he's he's been a big part for me. I agree with you the uh the veterans if you will have been a little bit of a of a disappointment um Brian Gianta. Um obviously I wasn't really expecting anything out of Brian Gianta. He's been out of the league for 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 quite some time. Um good to see him get the Olympic nod though. Um, hopefully they can come away with a win tonight. Um, what they were, they were, they're playing the Czech Republic tonight. I think, I think, I think is what, uh, JJ said. That's going to be a tough one. Um, it's going to be a tough one. Um, and if they win tonight, I believe they're into the final four, which means that they will play at least for a bronze medal at the very least. Um, so a big game for their, for for USA men's hockey tonight. Um, for the women, though, uh, going out and dominating Finland, and now they get their second crack at uh, Canada for the gold medal they lost earlier in the tournament, 2-1. Um, to one. And uh, it's worth noting that last the last two times that these teams played in the gold medal game and they played in the preliminary round, uh, the team that won the preliminary round game went on to win that gold medal game. Obviously last year the heartbreak in Sochi. Well not well not last year, but last cycle around. And then uh and then twenty years ago, the last time um that Canada and USA played a prelim game and then in the in the gold medal game as well was the last time that USA women's hockey um won a gold medal. So um I guess just what have you guys seen from the women's side? Um just the action that you can catch and uh and 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 just give me a rundown on the excitement level um in this room right now for uh for women's women's gold hockey i mean i think it in in general I, at least what i've gathered from facebook it's it's definitely interesting especially without nhl players in the olympics i feel like most of the excitement's kind of going towards a women's hockey team this this uh this olympics but i mean i'm i'm really excited for the canada game that was the one or maybe second, I, I think I only caught like two of the live uh, women hockey games. And um, that game against Canada was really good. The United States women's team has just been, um, offensively, they, offensively they have been really good and same as defensively, but I don't know. I think it, we could be in for a really tough game against Canada. Yeah, I think I think this matchup is going to make for like a great, great gold medal game. And I think it's going to kind of steal the... Uh steal the spotlight from what is usually um the men's um gold, going for the gold medal um at least as far as um people in the United States are concerned but I'm I'm excited to see um see if uh, USA can pull it off I mean it's kind of off topic but when should we should go back to just the topic of NHL players not being in the Olympics do you guys think that kind of creates more of a um, excitement kind of around the Olympics hockey, or do you think that kind of kills excitement a little bit? I think it kills the excitement, and I think it, I think it's detrimental to the NHL. Um, I get why the owners don't want their players to go play in the Olympics because you know you guys, John Tavares with his leg injury last Olympics, and the Islanders were having such a great season, and then you know you take their star player out of it, and then all of a sudden. Um, they're kind of dead in the water for the rest of the year. Um, the NHL doesn't see direct profitability. Um, 
I just think it's weird that one of the league messages, especially from Commissioner Gary Bettman, is that he wants to make the game and the NHL more of an international product. You know, that's why we saw the World Cup of Hockey. That's why we saw, um, you know, the China preseason games. That's why uh, the Avalanche and the Ottawa Senators went to Sweden earlier this year and played in Sweden. So you want to make it an international product, but you don't want to send your NHL stars, your especially your international ones, to go play, you know, in in the Olympics. And, I mean, a lot of these countries, they... They absolutely love their guys. You know, um, Zemgis Gergensen um, went and played for what? He's from Latvia, and I think he's the only NHL player from Latvia, and everyone loves him. So you're telling me that Latvia wouldn't care about the Olympics, wouldn't watch more NHL games if they saw NHL talent? You know, um, Czech Republic guys, just the USA in general, you know, um, you put a better a better product on the ice for the Olympics and then more casual fans are more prone to watch, watch the Olympics or catch the highlights of the Olympics and say, Hey, this is actually pretty cool. Like I'm going to go check out an NHL game, you know, and it just grows and it expands your sport a little bit. And I just think it's kind of counterintuitive if that makes sense at all. No, yeah, definitely. The, the Olympics is probably like the, the biggest world stage, um, for sports, and I mean, you said stuff like the World Cup of Hockey, um, trying to expand internationally, but the, the problem with that is the people that already like hockey are going to be watching that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, with the Olympics, like you, you get people that are maybe like casual hockey fans or um, don't really, <coughs> never really watched hockey before, but they're tuning into the Olympics because they like watching the Olympics. They like to to support their country. And I think as far as like creating um a a new fan base create creating new fans um on an international level i think this is definitely a missed opportunity from for the nhl not to have a uh, their their players especially like their star players represented on this huge world stage yeah, i think it's kind of interesting though because it kind of puts countries who are not traditionally known as um top com- like gold medalist comp- like contenders for the gold medal. Like, I mean, Czech Republic, I don't know when the last time they've been a big team for, like, big contender for the gold well, what, medal. What, they won, they won the gold um, when Milan Hayduk was just, uh, was just like, a rookie in the league, yeah. right? So back in, what, 98, something like that? I, yeah. think, I, think, I think they won the gold medal. I mean, like, when you kind of think about, like, the Czech Republic, there's either, like, Hayduk or um yager mm-hmm. and that's way back when but i don't know it's just it, i think it's interesting because you kind of look at these teams and obviously canada's going to be up there because canada's canada and yeah canada usa has talent but for some reason they're not really being able to kind of get together and kind of get that going oh except for yesterday sweden's always been up there but sweden for some reason isn't a big pig and Finland is, they're usually a bit picked, but it doesn't seem like people are really excited about Finland. Um, another reason why I kind of like this is because it gives NCAA guys kind of a chance mm-hmm. to play as well, as we've seen with Troy Terry and the other uh, NCAA commits th- Hon- this year. Honestly, I wouldn't really be that upset about it if it was like um, under 
whatever like 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 if it was pretty much just a replica like a, a replica of the world junior tournament i cared more about world juniors this year than i do about olympic men's hockey this year that's just kind of what it is because i really don't care about seeing brian gianta yeah. you know i saw brian gianta he's passed it um he was a good hockey player when he played but i really don't care about seeing him right now i know that kind of sounds crappy but i really i I just, I just don't care. I'd rather them send these young guys who played in World Juniors. Um, I'd rather see Makar out there. I'd rather see, um, you know, other young prospects. Uh, I love seeing Troy Terry out there, obviously, but I want to see more guys out there. You know, um, that represent the country that are going to be in the NHL eventually. You know, and then you get a faster game. You get younger guys in there, and I think it makes for a more exciting, more watchable tournament overall. If you're not going to have um, NHL players. And maybe that's something that the IOC can iron out, um, as we move forward, you know, like, Hey, like this is what was wrong with this year's Olympic tournament. And then this is the direction that we're going to move in. Yeah. I mean, also kind of, I mean, I love watching the world juniors every single year for some reason. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because especially with this one, you have the, I can't remember his name right now. Dolan the number one Swedish pick right now who um, people really got to see what he can do in the world juniors. And I, I guess for as someone who's constantly always watched the world juniors, I think it's interesting seeing those younger guys kind of get the international stage and kind of seeing what they can do, kind of gain re- some name recognition. Yeah. I think especially like the world juniors was kind of another avenue for people to, to see, to see some of these kids play and, uh, to really like kind of see where they're at and uh kind of I guess evaluate um talent and stuff and I think um like you said if like the Olympics was kind of like a replica of the World Juniors um it would just be like another um another avenue to uh um to see to see these kids play and I think that would that would generate a lot more more interest at least with uh with uh people already within the hockey fan base. Um, and I think overall it would, it would create a, uh, just a better overall game to watch, um, for, for the world fan base as well. Thanks for tuning into the pod. Make sure you follow us along on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash hockey mountain pod. And on Facebook at facebook.com slash hockey mountain pod. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at hockey underscore mountain. All right, guys, we'll bring it down the home stretch here tonight. Um, We will uh, look ahead to the um, avalanche week ahead. We'll, uh, we'll, We'll get some quick thoughts on the week ahead, and then and then and then we'll kind of end the uh, the pod out on a serious note here. Um, but we'll look ahead um, as of this recording. Um, the Avalanche will be playing the Canucks tonight, and in 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 Vancouver, uh, last time that they were there, they lost in heartbreaking OT fashion, and also lost uh, Nathan McKinnon to injury. And then they uh, they'll they'll get a chance at a little bit of retribution um, in Edmonton on Thursday against the Oilers, and then. Um, They'll be in Calgary and with another big game with another team that they're chasing um, against the Flames on uh, Saturday. So, um, guys, with just two more games left in the East, um, what's your what's what's your thoughts on the big week ahead and um, I guess just the big uh, the big stretch run here in the season? 
you know, I think just right now, basically every game is a must win. It's been that way for a while now, but I kind of see, just looking at these three games, I kind of maybe, I want to say they go two for one, but it really, really depends on how they come out, especially against Vancouver and Edmonton and well, all three of them, basically. Um, the Flames have been extremely well, doing well, well lately, especially with uh, Goudreau and um, Monahan. I mean, I can't really catch any of the games because they're not televised. But just any of the highlights I see of them, they're usually really good, and they're kind of just really gelling right now. And on a, it'll be interesting, this, these three games. Yeah, it's definitely going to be uh, – just this rest of the season is going to be a, a big push, especially if this team is going to uh, sneak into that last playoff spot. Um, I mean, like you said, there's what two more games against the East, and then you're all playing against uh, – divisional rivals or um, teams in the Pacific that are also in that hunt for that last playoff spot. Um, I'm kind of curious to see with Nathan McKinnon coming back exactly where he's at. Um, like I uh, in the game against the Oilers on Sunday, um, it, it, it was kind of hard to tell if he is quite at 100%. Um, I know he, he did come back a little earlier than he was kind of quoted to on the earlier side. Um, and even like looking at like the player usage too, he generally before he got injured, he was the as far as forwards go, he had the most ice time, whether um in the power play or um even strength. Um in the Oilers game, his usage he was I mean he wasn't he was third behind uh Landis Goggin McKinnon. So I it's kinda curious to see um if he really has a hundred if he really is at a hundred percent and uh if not in, in what capacity is a uh, Ben are going to utilize him. I thought he played really well in the last game, though. He um, he had a few – well, I mean, there was this one segment that he had that really kind of took me away was um, he just kind of seemed all over the offensive zone being able – kind of chasing down the puck, but also doing what he does, kind of creating space as well. So his legs are definitely back. But, yeah, I can definitely say what you see what you mean in terms of actually, like, the injured part of him, like shoulder and stuff. I did see him going for hits, but he didn't really shoot the puck that much. He didn't have that many shots on that last game, did he? No, I don't think so. And uh, one thing that really stood out to me, too, um, is that most of the games, you know, um, the one player on the ice for the avalanche that always pops, that's always catching your eye, um, is Nathan McKinnon. Um, And, you know, he kind of popped. He caught your eye with that speed. But, um, you know, for whatever reason, he was unable to um, maneuver around to get that to get that space and to make the plays that he has been able to make all year. Um, I think a lot of that is um, maybe, maybe he's not a hundred percent. Maybe he just needs to shake off the rust a little bit. Um, But I don't think he handled the puck as well as we've seen him um, this season in the past. Um, So I think he, I think, I think maybe he is a hundred percent. If he's not, then it'll be interesting to see, when he gets to 100%, when he gets back to the Nathan McKinnon he was, or if he just needs to shake off some rust, how how long is that going to take him? Um, because the Avalanche kind of needs some offense, and they need someone out there to generate some shots, and they kind of need to do that now, you know? Yeah, I mean, for sure, especially with um, McKinnon being back. I'm really excited for tonight, though. I think he'll be kind of coming in and be like, you know what, this is where I got hurt. I kind of want to redeem myself a little bit. But I think knowing McKinnon and having Nachi 
talk to him this year and kind of getting to know him a little bit, it's it's definitely interesting because you can kind of see what they meant by when he was first drafted. Um, that he's always a player who is able to kind of make that next step up. And I think, I feel like as a captain, he realizes what kind of spot the Avs are in right now, and he wants to make that step up. Yeah, he's he's definitely become um, a real leader on this team, I think, um, especially compared to um, his earlier years with the Avalanche. Um, one, of, one of the biggest things, too, looking forward in these next few games is um, – this uh, how this defensive core is gonna um, uh, perform without uh their their top uh top D man and honestly like one of their one of their captains you know um so we'll see um I'm 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 really curious to see how uh how uh, Mirnov's gonna how Mirnov's gonna do especially um on this stage yeah I mean Mirnov he. He didn't really impress me when he was first mm-hmm. with us. He was kind of quiet, um, but and especially concerned the fact that what I saw with him in the KHL, he always had those big open ice hits, and he was always really aggressive. But I don't know for some reason he just didn't have that when he started out with us in the NHL. Well, I'm not really worried about him as a prospect either. Um, you think about those opening ice hits in the in the KHL. That's kind of um, a norm. You know, it's a it's a it's a bigger sheet of ice. You know. Um, it calls for more skill, and it calls for those open ice hits. Um, whereas the North American style of play, the rink's a little bit smaller, um, and you know the plays the plays a little bit different. Um, so I just I just I just think he needs to adjust to um, the North American play. That's why I'm not really that upset with him being uh, down in San Antonio because he'll get his exposure to that. He'll kind of see um, what he's supposed to do, how he's supposed to do it. Um, and then now he gets an opportunity to do it in the NHL. And um, the good thing about it, too, is I don't think the Avalanche need him to do too much. Um, you know, they they don't need him to come in and hop in and automatically be a difference maker. Um, I think I think I think that falls more on Zadorov's shoulders and Gerard's shoulders. And those guys have been here. Uh, they've been producing and they need to amp their game up just a little bit more. Um, so you're not expecting leaps and bounds from any one of these guys, and I think that's a good sign. All right, we'll switch gears here um, for the final topic, um, and uh, we want to touch base really quickly on uh, the incident that happened um, in Chicago just this uh, just this past week. Um, Chicago taking on um, Washington. Snapping an eight-game losing streak, winning seven to one, um, but the incident in question, um, Devonte Smith Pelly um, from the Washington Capitals got a penalty, um, went to the penalty box, and was seen jawing with some of the fans. Um, those fans were ejected, and it literally uh, came out later that they were racially taunting Devonte Smith Pelly by chanting "basketball," um, Adam. Um, obviously a very serious issue, especially with the month of November being hockey is for everyone month. And then this happens. And, uh, I mean, the game on Sunday was the, you can play game for the Colorado avalanche, a big movement in hockey. Um, that's really helped the sport come a long way. Um, guys, just what are your thoughts, um, on this real quick? I mean, it's really disappointing to still see it, especially with what we saw with, um, 
Wayne Simmons and all that stuff with someone throwing a banana pill at him on the like sh- shootout. Yeah, it was a few years ago, but yeah. Um, obviously, it's always really disappointing to see that, especially being a fan of the Blackhawks, being like, okay, now we're getting into this, so that's really bad for the organization. But what I am really happy about is um those four fans being permanently banned from home games. That's what I'm really happy to see. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. They they did get permanently banned from uh, Hawks games at the United Center. Um, one of the, one of the biggest things I think, um, not only is it a bad look for um, the Blackhawks organization and the city of Chicago, but it's a bad look for the league in general. I mean, the NHL is kind of already um, known as it's primarily primarily white fans primarily white players um there's kind of this stigma around it and uh that's that's kind of part of the reason they're doing this everyone can play um month and everyone can play day and uh, honestly that that's like a lot of reasons why gary bettman's trying to expand this uh this league into different markets which is why vegas got got a team over over quebec city and i think it just um it's a bad look for the league in general well i kind of think it's interesting too because it's like Batman, but as well as the rest of the teams in the league are kind of finding ways to diversify because on NHL Network they have um I can't remember his name right off the bat yeah yeah they have him who is a really good analyst I've what I've heard of him and what I've seen of him he's really good and it's it's interesting because it's what other sport are you seeing that's kind of having those that type of diversity within it I don't think there's any. Yeah, and I mean, he was a really good player too. Um, the Avalanche uh, just did a really good um, uh, tribute on Martin Luther King Day to uh, to Willie O'Ree, the first Afri- African American player in the NHL. Um, and I mean, in, I mean, I mean, unfortunately, it's not an isolated incident in just hockey too. Um, you know, we saw it uh, last year with uh, with uh, fans racially taunting. Um, I forget racially taunting Adam Jones at Fenway Park in Boston. Um, so unfortunately, it's not just an isolated thing um, to hockey, but obviously um, it is a big thing in hockey with, I guess, the d- diversification or lack thereof that you mentioned, Joe, um, that it is a predominantly, pro- predominantly white league. And, you know, I do think that the hate sticks out a little bit more too, considering that, um, I think there's only what 30, 30 African American players in the league, um, and you know you see it all the time. J T. Brown was getting death threats um, because he put his hands, his his fists in the air during the national anthem um, to, I guess, speak bounce to this kind of thing. Um, after P K Subban scored game seven game winning goal against the Boston Bruins, he was getting racially charged hate tweets. You know, just because he scored a goal, um, and I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's sad to see in the league, but it's also sad to see um, in the world as well. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for the most part things are changing a little bit, but you still have that racial divide in sports, especially in hockey, though. Kind of what we were saying of percentage of white athletes, but on, I mean, I feel like that will change eventually, especially with how. Um, diversified the sport is becoming because i mean you have people from basically 
really all over the world playing hockey in places where you don't even think that they play hockey in. Because, I mean, there's, like, Great Britain, people don't think there's hockey in Great Britain. And they have their own hockey league there, too. And I believe I've seen Egypt teams, too. So, it's, I mean, it's everywhere, but people just, it, I just hope one of these days, like, some people will stop being racial, but we know that's not going to happen. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, but, I mean, one, one, one of the bright spots I've seen is kind of the response, um, especially on on the internet from um from from hockey fans that are are definitely condemning condemning this kind of behavior and i think just in general as hockey fans um we should all all do better to um kind of be more expe- accepting and hold hold others accountable honestly like if you if you're at a game and you see like that call someone out on it um and i think that that's going to be a big part of um taking a big step forward yeah, the response from hockey fans, but I was also really impressed with, you know, the response of the Chicago Blackhawks, not only afterwards, um, obviously giving them the lifetime ban from the United Center, which was absolutely the right move to do, but also um, the response by the fans, because um, if you read up on it, the fans, they were the ones that alerted security to, hey, this is what's going on. The penalty box um, guy did as well. And um, the response time of the security to get down there, get those fans and say, hey, you know what you just did? It's not cool. You guys are gone. You know, you guys are out of here um, to just get them out there and um, for the Blackhawks to issue the statement and then to ban them from future home games. Um, maybe it's a little bit too extreme. Maybe it's not. But I would love to see the NHL go a step further and say that, you know, these guys aren't allowed at an NHL arena ever again you know um just because there shouldn't be a place for that at all joking or not you know um you know if especially if you're gonna taunt a player like that you know and um you know it is kind of gut-wrenching to hear what Devonte smith pelly had to say about it and then anthony duclair who plays for the blackhawks um obviously he had something to talk about as well um you know those guys growing up playing hockey um, and them just talking about how they've had to deal with this pretty much their entire life and their entire time growing up. And what really tugged on my heartstring with Duclair was he was like, you know, we just want to go out and do what we love. You know, we just love playing hockey. You know, that's what we want to do. That, you know, we've, we've reached this pinnacle and, you know, we shouldn't have had to deal with all the stuff that we've had to leading up to it. Devontae smith Pelly shouldn't have had to deal with it. I shouldn't have had to deal with it. And now that we've reached a pinnacle, we shouldn't have to deal with it even more so now, you know? I think another factor that maybe the United Center will probably take a look at, well, if they haven't already, is how much to drink that those people actually had who were sitting down there had. Because, I mean, the United Center, I think just like any other com- uh, stadium, has like cutoff time or whatever. Um, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting kind of regulating alcohol consumption as well. Because I believe that might uh, play another role in it as well, but I haven't heard anything about that yet. Yeah, if if they if they could implement something like that, it would be kind of interesting to see how they would how they would go about it. I mean, it's a lot harder. It's one thing regulating alcohol consumption with someone sitting at your bar versus someone that kind of you, you see when they order the beer and then you don't see them again, and they can go to different places and everything to get beers. Um, but yeah, that that definitely 
could and probably was a big factor in that incident. Yeah, that and whether alcohol played a part in it, whether those people were drunk or not, it's still um, not something that should happen, whether, you know, you're intoxicated or not. And then um, being an adult, it's on you to, um, you know, if you are going to go out and you are going to, you know, do that at a hockey game, um, you know, get intoxicated, it's on you to, you know, be, be, be responsible about it, you know, um, and they didn't, they weren't, they weren't very responsible with the way they went about it. No, absolutely. And, uh, alcohol is not a good excuse anyways for, um, for anything, for excusing any sort of behavior. Um, yeah. I'm good. All right, guys. (laughs) JJ's just like, all right, we we touch on all of it. Well, on that, uh, rather somber note, we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to, uh, to the episode number four of the Hockey Mountain Pod. If you guys haven't already, make sure that you uh, that you subscribe. Uh, leave us uh, some reviews so we can get some more exposure on iTunes, um, iTunes, Google Play, um, on SoundCloud as well. And then make sure you go uh, like, follow um, all our social media accounts, uh, facebook.com slash hockeymountainpod. And then uh, Twitter, at unders- or Twitter at hockey underscore mountain. Um, and we'll see you guys next time. Appreciate it.